The future of health coaching. Opportunity, action, impact. Brought to you by Teleosis Institute, coaching and narrative healing. Welcome to the Future of Health Coaching Summit. I'm Reggie Mara, Creative Director at Teleosis Institute. And on behalf of our Executive Director, Dr. Joel Kreisberg and myself, thank you for joining us for this conversation entitled, Make Peace with Marketing. I'm happy to introduce today's guest, Miriam G. Zacharias, who after two decades as a sales and marketing executive in corporate America, walked away and obtained advanced degrees and certifications in holistic nutrition, executive coaching, and sports nutrition. She is the co-founder of the Prosperous Practitioner Summit, an instructor at leading medical nutrition and health coaching institutions, and the author of The Peace Process, her 2015 book release, of which I have a copy right here, and which is at the heart of our conversation today. Miriam serves as Vice President of the National Association of Nutrition Professionals and is on the board of the Arizona Integrative Wellness Co Coalition. In her own words, her mission is to help healthcare professionals build wildly successful practices that fulfill their ultimate life's purpose. Welcome, Miriam. Thank you so much. I am delighted to be here, Reggie. Yeah, great. It's great to, uh, to see you and to, to um, begin this conversation. So I, I, I really would love for you to share just at the outset, um, I've gone through the book. And, and again, as we discussed before we began our, uh, the recording here, you know, I didn't give it a, a full in-depth reading, but I, got, I went through it enough that I'm really intrigued by and um, have a lot of respect for what the word peace means in the title. And so if, if you don't mind, just to, could you just unpack that briefly? Because we're going to get into it in some depth as we, as we speak. Would you mind unpacking the word peace in the title of your book? Uh, sure, happy to do that. So the title, the peace process, the, the process itself is a marketing methodology. So making sure people understand that that's the essence of the book. And PEACE is actually an acronym that uh, stands for the five steps in the methodology. The first step being purpose, which is foundational to marketing and something that's mostly overlooked in, in many of the marketing trainings that I've ever taken. So P is for purpose. E is for establish, which is all about establishing and claiming your spot in the marketplace through a focused niche and brand. The third step is the A, which is attract. And, you know, whenever I talk to this audience, I often say we want to attract people to us. We, want, we don't want to go chasing after them. So the A is for attract. And there are principles for attraction that I talk about in marketing. The C is for connect. And connect, um, if you read any marketing books today, you're learning, we're learning that um, connection is all about building a relationship with people. It's not about badgering them and selling to them on a regular basis, but it's about making the deep connection. And there are very specific ways to do that. Um, and the final step is engage. So the first four letters, P-E-A-C, are marketing tactics. The last step, engage, is actually the conversion tactic. It's, it's converting all of those prospective clients that we might have out there and turning them into paying customers. So that's the final step. Yeah. And, that's, and that's a big step. I mean, those of us who are in coaching in general or health and wellness coaching um, in particular, um, uh, we can say we're in it for the love, but it's important that we also make some money. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what I really like about the title of the book and what we're, will unfold is each of those letters has its uh, respective meaning, but ultimately what we want to allow ourselves as coaches to do, and this goes for veteran coaches and for those folks on the call um, who might just be starting out who wonder how they can really set up their business, is that it is possible and in fact perhaps necessary to make peace. <laughs> marketing and sales because people don't just suddenly you know, show up uh, at, at your door even if you're doing great work yeah you know I spent a long I have a long history in corporate sales and marketing and interestingly when I made the jump uh, into working with this community 
uh, I discovered that many of the same principles applied to marketing as they do in corporate America. However, there's a shift and a big difference in the way I believe our community must market in a way that feels authentic and genuine and that gives us calm and peace and maybe a little bit different from some of the more aggressive approach that you might see in the corporate world. So peace is definitely a shift in the tone of how we market our practices and our businesses because of the work that we do and the people we are. Yeah, great. And so I, I like, and I, I'm sure we'll un, unpack exactly, um, well, you, you mentioned that the shift is in, in the tone itself, but we'll see more of what that shift actually in, um, includes, because I'm going to guess that if I want to build my holistic practice, I need to do it in a way that's a little bit different from General Electric <laughs> or General Motors. Um, exactly. That's exactly right. I hope so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so with that, would it make sense now to take each of those um, letters of the word peace, the acronym itself, and unpack that in slightly more detail? Sure. I'd um, be happy to do that. And I'm most excited about the first step, which is purpose. Um, this This is something that I discovered. You mentioned the Prosperous Practitioner Summit, and it's something that I've done in the last two years with a business associate of mine, Julia Zaslow. And in that summit, we interviewed over 40, 45 practitioners in all walks of life in the holistic, integrative functional medicine field. And every single one of them, these were people who were successful, whether they were, you know, working out of, you know, podunk indianapolis or indiana or you know alaska or where, whether they were a big celebrity on on the big stage regardless of how large of a, a practice that they had set up all of them said that success begins with a grounding in core beliefs and principles and they were very much connected to that sense of purpose and from that they were able to do a lot of other things that we'll, we'll talk about from, it, from within the peace process, but that was the first step that many of them took. Because what happens a lot of times, we get very, very busy in the course of our work and, uh, or our lives, and all of us, if, if I could see a show of hands, which I know I can't hear, but when I talk to audiences and I ask, how many people, is this their first profession? and nobody raises their hand. Most of the people who come into this work come into it because of an event in their life. Maybe they personally struggled or suffered with a health condition, or maybe there was a tragedy, or maybe they just had this burning desire to you know, eradicate the blood sugar problem in our country. There's something that pushed them here, usually as a second, third, fourth, or fifth career, and that's the difference in many cases between us and maybe an accountant or an attorney. There was something that propelled us here, but we get really busy in the course of our work and our studies and everything else, and we lose sight of that purpose. And pretty soon, we become detached and disconnected to purpose. And so the first step is reconnecting it and reattaching. And... Um, I think I saw a mention from you in an email. It's along the lines of the whole Simon Sinek thing as well, right? Starting with why, starting with purpose, because not only does that connection keep you strong, because we all have ups and downs and highs and lows, um, and keep you focused, because it's easy to get distracted. Um, but people come to you because you're connected to it. It's one of the most foundational marketing things that when people are truly living their purpose and they approach the world with everything relative to, I'm on a mission and I'm not stopping <laughs> because it's so important. When you are that deeply con con uh, connected to purpose, people flock to you. They're attracted to you like bees to honey. It's amazing just how powerful that connection, you being reconnected to that can be with marketing. Yeah, and, and I, as you said that, as you just unfolded that, um, one of the things I, I, I found interesting in, in your book and that really resonated with me um, was that 
because I began as a, as a high school teacher and a basketball coach myself, and then as a teaching poet for decades, I still, I still do that and as, a, as an author. Um, but when you wrote that Mother Teresa um, <laughs> basically said she did what she did, not so much because she wanted to help people. She didn't say she didn't want to help, but she said she did it because of the way it made her feel. And that was just, that just resonated with me because looking back, whether I was teaching in a classroom, coaching basketball, one-on-one -on -one with a client, or reading, or even writing my poetry, but reading it in front of a group, I, in each one of those cases, I, I can say honestly that I like how I feel. Yes. And so that Mother Teresa would say that working with lepers in Calcutta um, is, is pretty astounding. So the, the idea of having that, that why and that, that purpose driving us is huge. And then you, you actually said, so it's, if it's okay for Mother Teresa, <laughs> probably okay for us, which is a great, uh, wonderful line in, in the book. So you know, thank you for that. Yeah. yeah, you know, a lot of people, I think, um, they, they're afraid to be too self-focused. And I think there's, there's definitely way too much, you know, self-adoration out there and some of the, the celebrity health folks that we know that it's all about me, 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 me. But this is the one area where it is about me. Yeah. Um, and that we have to, you know, go out there, and, and, and that's what I said about Mother Teresa, almost in a selfish manner, um, because I have a big dream. I personally have a big mission, and I can't let anything stop me from getting there, and I'm not going to step on people on my way to get there, but I have to stay connected to it so I don't get pulled off center, because it's, it's easy to get pulled off center. Um, I think you know my story, um, just to give you an example of this idea of how powerful purpose can be. Uh, I was working at Microsoft Corporation in sales and marketing, heading up a big sales division. And uh, I'd gotten a call from my family that my big brother, Eric, had died. And uh, he was only 46 at the time. Um, and I was pretty upset about it, but I wasn't terribly surprised because... Three years prior to his death, he had gone into the hospital for open heart surgery. And during that surgery, um, a mistake was made. The surgeon left the room. He was exhausted from doing all these back-to-back -back, uh, open heart surgeries. He left the closing to uh, a, an intern. And the intern connected a vein to an artery, which sent my brother into uh, immediate cardiac arrest. And he survived that miraculously. Um, but my mother, who was a nurse, was able to call the hop, uh, operating room records and discover about this, this terrible mistake that was made. So for the next three years, while we were waiting around for lawsuits and all kinds of you know, nasty stuff to occur, we're mostly waiting for a new heart because while my brother survived, he was not going to live long term. Um, he was pretty much bedridden. And he kept getting sicker while we were waiting for the heart, the new heart to come. And he developed uh, shingles and hepatitis, uh, bout after bout of uh, bronchitis, pneumonia. And then finally, a month before he died, um, he went into the hospital with a brain tumor. And we were baffled. When they did some blood labs during um, getting him ready and prepped for what turned out to be an inoperable brain tumor, they discovered that while he had had the heart surgery three years prior, they'd given him seven units of blood, three of which uh, were tainted with HIV and um, uh, hepatitis. So they were bound and determined to basically murder my brother, conventional um, medicine and mostly medical error. And um, that kind of unraveled me, <laughs> uh, the whole family. My mother died not long after that from grief and heartache. Uh, another brother uh, had a break with reality. He's institutionalized. And my father didn't last much longer either. Miserable, frustrated, angry would it happen? And I decided that the thought of selling another box of software really didn't matter to me anymore. Mm -hmm. So it was then that I decided to go off and get my holistic nutrition degree and uh, did some clinical work teaching people how to eat better, be healthier. And that's when I discovered 
all of my peers, nutritionists, health coaches, acupuncturists, naturopathic doctors, were struggling in business. And I thought, well, gee, if I could combine my love and passion for this idea of holistic health with enabling an army of people to go out and heal by making them successful, teaching them the principles of marketing, what better mission could I, could I have, right? I could help thousands and millions of people by making sure our businesses all succeed. And that was the shift I made. Interestingly now, I know that purpose. Every morning, I know that that's my purpose. And it keeps me focused. It keeps my feet on the ground. If someone comes and asks me to speak to an audience that isn't my niche market, which is the health coach, the naturopath, the nutritionist, I can say no. And what happens is when you don't have purpose, you grab at everything that comes your way. And next thing you know, you realize you're not getting anything done and you're not heading toward your mission. So it's one example of how purpose can be so powerful in keeping you charging ahead toward that big mission, saying no to the things that are outside of you. And I got to tell you something, when I tell my story, the people that resonate with what I'm all about, they want to work with me. They want to help me be successful too, because they know that I'm in this for a much bigger reason. Yeah, th thank you. I mean, I really appreciate you going into the detail of that story because it's a very po powerful one. Not that I'm, I'm ranking it or, or rating it, but one thing that that you mentioned in the book, and I'm just going to put this tag on it because I found it to be, for in my reading, um, an even more vulnerable move on your part, and but especially in the context of um, narrative is a big part of this summit um, in terms of the, the importance of story and narrative. Um, as a as a health coach, is that you know you spoke about your I think I don't know if you used the word enraged you may have used it in the book but about your anger but then you stepped back a moment you know your anger at the medical conventional medical errors that were made but you stepped back for a moment and looked at some of the choices Eric had made in terms of his lifestyle choices with smoking and he was a musician and he played in a lot of smoky bars and he drank and different things and you realize that okay the medical errors were made but and you couldn't really have any control over that but what you could learn was how to both prevent and even reverse some of the conditions that eric lived with and so what's what i found really important in your story was which story you chose to pursue because you could have remained this angry sister, angry daughter and sister, basically yeah. lost her entire family of origin and been this bitter old thing <laughs> for the rest of your life. And you chose a story that moved uh, your own life and what I would call healing forward. So I just wanted to, to say that because that was the whole story is moving, but that move acknowledging Eric, um, and then your choice based on what you saw was possible for me was, was, was really heartfelt and, and wholehearted. So thank you mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. yeah, thank you. That's a good, good thing to, to recognize because we all have a choice yeah. when we're confronted with these things. And you can see the two paths very clearly, those that pursue a, a, the higher path, right? I know I can do greater good. Um, by not being bitter and angry and just bashing the, the conventional medical system, I could do a whole lot more good if I can bring more holistic health care to the masses. That's a much better mission. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so so great. So with that, you, I have a feeling that you and I could probably just talk about story for a while here, but I think <laughs> we have. I have an ethical obligation to, <laughs> to bring us back to um, if we could move you know back into the the acronym. So we've we, we, yes. I've uh, done, a, done a great job with purpose. Um, can, we, can we move now into, well, what do we next? Is engaging, is that right? Uh, establish, actually. Establish, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so establish is um, basically claiming your place in the market. And what I really mean is niching. And that's always sort of that scary word that people go, oh my gosh, yeah. you know, <laughs> I don't want to, you know, it'll limit me, it'll constrain me. Yeah. Um, and yet it's actually, uh, and you probably know this as well, 
probably the most potent, powerful marketing tool in the world is to get focused and get clear on who you serve. Um, and, and purpose is the starting place because you go, okay, this is what I'm all about. These are the people that I feel I can really help. Now we refine that further and say, who is that person? What are they struggling with? And what outcome can I, can I bring to them through my services? And by getting that level of understanding of that particular, um, when I say niche, a lot of people think it's a demographic. Oh, it's just a person who is, you know, is between 35 and 45 and, and is overweight and lives in this kind of city. And those, are, those demographics can be really uh, key and important. But it could just be sort of a situation. I want to help healthy, mo um, busy moms who want to create quick, fast, wholesome meals for their children, right? So it doesn't have to be a disease and it doesn't, there's many, many ways of thinking about niche. But niching is important as it relates to putting the message out there on your website, to giving public talks and networking. Two of the biggest and fastest ways to bring in new clients is through networking and public talks. But if you're talking about all kinds of things, um, the message will get diluted. and It'll be really, really hard to get people to sit in the audience and go, ah, I get that now. People, let's go back to that idea of selfishness. People only care about the thing that they care about and what they care about if, if they go online and they're looking for a solution for whatever's health condition they're dealing with or just whatever their struggle might be in the wellness world. They rarely go online and say, gee, I'd really like to find a health coach who helps people with everything and uses all kinds of things, right? We're looking for the specific thing. How do I feed my kids healthy meals in under 30 minutes, right? That's what people look for. So if we don't position ourselves in a way that our ideal audience is looking for us, we're going to always be missing the mark and we'll be out there competing with everybody and everything. So by getting clarity around the specific person that you want to work with that you feel you can help and using that language everywhere that you show up now all of a sudden not only do you attract the right people to you but you begin to become an expert in that one thing and people want to work with an expert don't they we want to work with the best person i don't want to if i have um a thyroid condition I'm not going to go to the, the GP who also takes care of, you know, uh, foot fungus and, you know, hair loss or whatever it is. I want the, the endocrinologist and I want the one who graduated at the top of the class, who's written all the books, who's written the blogs, who's speaking everywhere, who's being interviewed by the newspapers. Who's... So we want to get to that level of specificity and clarity and you can only do that by choosing a particular population who has a particular need that you really resonate with. And yeah, thank, thanks for that. And I just, I actually want to just use your own language because I took some notes. And one of the things I said I wanted to make sure I, I asked you to speak to, and you actually just did it, but I want to use the language from the book because it was, it was just really clarifying for me where you differentiate the difference between a niche and the target audience. And, and they're not the same thing but they're complementary. And here's what, this is right out of the book. So a niche is a unique and specialized solution that delivers a desired outcome to your target population's unmet need. And then you actually have a little, I don't want to call it a formula because it's not really a formula, but it's a sentence stem where you basically ask me as a reader to fill in the blank. I help my target population, whatever that is, to accomplish whatever it is they want to accomplish and in the reason so that they can get whatever outcome. Now I thought that was such a, a wonderfully clear differentiation because there might be a demographic involved um, and more often than not I think there there is but it's really about a unique and specialized solution that delivers 
a specific outcome to a specific audience. So that 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 was a wonderfully clarifying, um, and there's like three sentences. I think it was. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it is a bit of a formula, and and I use it a lot. The really important part of that formula is the third piece, which is the outcome, um, because we also have to understand that's really getting into the mindset of the audience. What is it that they want from me? Because just because the person has the condition or the need um, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to come and work with me unless I can clearly articulate what I think they really want in terms of an outcome. If I'm a busy mom, maybe the outcome is cooking the meal in 30 minutes or less, or it could be hiring somebody to come in and cook for me. So you need to understand the outcome that person wants so you can um, articulate how you can deliver against the outcome that they're looking for. Great. So, so thank you for that. So I think it, it's time to move on to A, um, which is, I want to make sure I get this one right now. I don't have notes on this. I'll finish <laughs> my memory. So I'm pretty sure that's attract. There you go. You got it. <laughs> yeah, so um, the attraction principle is, um, it's a lot of things. Um, and basically, again, it starts with the first two steps. That's what I really wanted to accomplish with the peace process is that each step builds on each other. Okay. So as we become connected to who we are and we've identified our audience that we want to work with, now the goal is to attract them to us. And we attract people to us by speaking to them in the language that they use. Okay. okay? In understanding the, again, the outcome that they want and using the terminology that they use. And we do that in everywhere we show up. So attraction is about the message that we put out, essentially. Um, if you go to many websites, uh, health coaches, uh, nutritionists, others in our industry, and you look on the homepage, and by the way, 90 to 95% of all people are going to go online to find you. So if you don't have a website, you must have one. Absolutely, you've got to have a website. Um, but how you show up on that website is important. And if you look at many websites today, what you'll find is a homepage that has a stock photo of a model who, and, and then all of the copy on, you know, the words on that website are about my credentials, my services, my philosophy, my, 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 here we're back to the, you know, selfie, what I call selfie marketing. Mm -hmm. That is not going to attract people to you. Your position in the marketplace, um, and this is what I mean by attraction, has to use language that your audience would use to find you. So the homepage of your website, and I'm using website as an example, but the idea of attraction goes in all of our marketing, you should have your picture on the homepage of your website, not a stock photo of a model that has no relationship to you or the person sitting there, right? Um, your picture, the tagline or slogan should be that outcome statement, helping you cook dinner in 30 minutes or less, right? Um, the language should reflect what's going on in the mind of your the person looking at your website. I know you're a busy mom. You hold down a full-time job. You're trying to raise three kids. You're, you know, whatever. So that language immediately attracts people. So the, you know how long the average person spends on your website? Do you know what that number is? Um, I, some, I, my memory says somewhere between three and seven seconds, but I'm not sure. It's 2.9 seconds. Okay, I was high. <laughs> and dropping, <laughs> right? Because we're, you know, we're, we're, uh, we have very, very little attention span. Mm -hmm. So for in 2.9 seconds, how do you attract somebody? Well, you're not going to attract them by talking about yourself. Right. You're going to attract them by talking about your understanding of who they are, what they need, and how you can help them achieve that outcome. So 
the homepage, the attraction principle is using the appropriate language to keep them engaged more than 2.9 seconds so they can get over to your about page, the second most visited page on your site, and then it's all about you. Then you can talk about your story and your credentials and everything else. So attraction's important online. The blog posts that you write, the blog posts should be simple, using language that your audience can um, resonate with, um, and your public talks. You should be speaking to your niche using language that they understand, talking about the outcome. So all of the attraction principles really has to do with the language you use, the messaging that you're putting out, and drawing people in based on what they're looking for, not what you believe you can give to them. Yeah. And that's what, what is really resonating for me, Miriam, as you just unpack this idea. Um, again, is, is you can't really do a good job attracting um, unless, in fact, you know what your niche is, because you won't know what language to use exactly. and you know how to speak to. You know, you try speaking to 8 billion people, or maybe, I don't know, if they all have computers yet. But you can't do that. So, so as you said, you're unfolding this in, in kind of a logical order. But it's, it's essential then to know to whom you're writing and speaking. So great. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, so once, once we're in this process of um, becoming attractive, in fact, um, to our, our target audience and, our, and our niche, um, we want to, I believe, connect. Is that the same? <laughs> you got it. So... Once they're attracted to you, now what happens? Okay, so now you've got these people who are pretty interested in who you are, what you have to say. They get a good sense that uh, you're on this big mission. They're aligning with you. And let's go back to, to the website example. So I'm sitting on your website. I love what you have to say. And I I'm still thinking about it, though, because 90% of the time, People don't make immediate decision when they land on a website or come to a talk of yours or even if they meet you in a networking event. It takes time. So it depends on who you, whose work you read. I think it was um, Tony Robbins I just read that it takes up to 16 exposures to you before somebody decides to move forward and buy your services or buy your products. 16, that means they need to either hear your name, see you speak, heard your name used by somebody else, some exposure to you. Well, if it takes that long, now that might be at the far end, it might take three or four at the low end, but it does take more than one uh, exposure to you typically. How do you ensure that happens? Well, if I'm on a website that I really like, but I'm not ready to take action, then, but I like you, you got to give me a way to stay connected to you. And so that's through an opt-in on the website, for example. So, you know, giving away that uh, free guide to how to prepare healthy meals in 30 minutes or less for your, or less for your children. Some sort of a cool giveaway that allows uh, me to give you my email address, and I know I'm intelligent. I know that you're going to start emailing me, right? And as long as it's valuable, I'm going to stay connected to you. As long as you're educating or entertaining or inspiring me, so connection is about, in some way, collecting email addresses and begin the conversation, because people buy from people they know, like, and trust. But if they've only met you once, they can't develop the relationship with you. So we need an opportunity to touch people multiple times and the best way is to collect names. It's, it's the biggest asset we have, our list of prospects and patients or clients, right? Okay. So connection is about making sure we have um, the ability to um, make ongoing connection. Now, some people say, well, how about social media? Well, social media is great, except understand that social media is not necessarily um, an efficient way to continue a conversation. Why? Because I don't know about you, but I only check my, my Facebook now maybe once a week. I've gotten way, way away from it. I'm too busy. 
And so just because you're there doesn't mean your audience is there. You cannot control a conversation on social media. That's about building community, but not about establishing ongoing conversation, relationship, and connection. So the email name allows you to send out your blog posts, send out a newsletter, announce a new program you might be launching, a new um, uh, product that you might be offering, whatever it is. So connection is about basically collecting email and names and starting the dialogue with people to build know, like, and trust. So a question comes up for me, and and, um, the juxtaposition of the opting in and the email connection on on the website, and early on you you mentioned, I think when we were talking about establishing uh, how there's still a good reason, even though you know, we're all looking at screens nowadays and our, <laughs> our phones, our, our pads and our computers. There's still a good reason to go out there and do in-person talks and workshops. So could you speak a little bit about how the in-person, which is where I thrive, where I, which I yes. love to do. I like to be with real people. As a, I mean, this is nice, but it's, you know, it's a flat screen. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but could you speak a little bit about the, the role of the in-person Uh, appearances in the connection process as well? Yes, absolutely. So um, the summit, again, I'm going to use as the example, because what we learned from every single practitioner was the number one way to quickly build your list of prospects and, and clients was through more personal engagement talks and, um, Uh, networking events, that sort of thing. Those are still the number two, the the number one and two ways that you're going to build that connection. Now, the thing is you, you see them once you're still kind of in the same boat. If people need more exposure to you and you've only met them once now, what happens? So you, the, the good news is when you're in person, your the sales cycle is shorter. So if it took uh, 16 exposures, just having an online connection with somebody, you know, the in-person, you, you close people much faster when you're there. Maybe it only takes that single exposure, but still the majority of people aren't going to make a decision, just more than they will online. So the key is once you've done that, it, it's a two-pronged approach. Once you've done that live work with people, a workshop or a a talk or or a networking event, you still want to redirect them back to your website to opt in to get your free gifts so you can continue the dialogue with them afterward. So even with the um, greater likelihood of, of converting a prospect over to a client in person, in a person, in person event, um, you still want the two prong approach because the majority is still not going to take action and you want to maintain that conversation. And if you're in a talk and I'm like you, I love doing talks. I love being in person because I need to feel the energy of people. <laughs> it's just really great. Um, but when you do those talks, um, people are more than willing to give you their email address for ongoing conversation, especially if they've liked what you had to say. So it's usually pretty easy to, to, uh, ask them if they would, wouldn't mind getting ongoing tips from you and getting their email address. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that that uh, response. And it, it actually did speak to exactly what I was curious about. So thank you for that. Yeah. And um, because I know there's, there are, now I know that there are two E's in the word P. <laughs> and the one I thought was the first E is actually the last E. And we're looking at the actual, um, and, and engage here has a really specific meaning as you use it. And it is for many of us who are not used to being entrepreneurs or uh, uh, to, to use the S word to, to sell our services, um, um, that in, engaging as you're going to speak about it is, is, could be a little bit challenging for some of us. Yeah. And if you've done the first four things really well, yeah. okay, um, and some people come right to that last step, they're ready to buy from you. But many people, if you've done the first four steps, they're coming into your funnel um, where, you know, they they get to know you and they sign up and they're learning about you and they're starting to like you. Um, 
then understand they've already raised their hand and said, I like you. I like what you have to say. I'm, I'm, I'm really learning a lot from you. It's not that big of a leap then for them. They're, they're ready to go to take that next step to actually engage your services. So for many, if you've been doing the first four steps right, the engage piece isn't selling people something, but it's giving them what they want. It's taking them to the next level of success with the problem they have or the concern they might be, might be struggling with. So, so, if you, so that's one of the points that I wanted to make about the engage step, that it shouldn't feel like, oh, you know, I got to do this, you know, slimy, creepy thing like selling. You're actually bringing, bringing your gifts to them. Yeah. They've already said, I like you. I want to know more about how I can have success with you. So it should be relatively simple. Um, the engage step, uh, as I talk about it in my book, I actually have yet another method uh, for selling. It's a four-step method that I go through in, in the, the book. Um, and much of that, it, the first part of any sales process is listening, asking really important questions and listening. We, have, we think that selling is about talking. That's the biggest misnomer in the universe. Selling is about listening. 80% of all selling is about hearing what's being said and what's not being said. So if you, and, and that's what's so great about coaches, because you know how to do this, right? Yeah. You're a great listener. So selling is coaching. If you think about it, it's asking important questions, learning about what's going on and being present, staying very present with the situation, understanding what's going on energetically with that other person. Where are they? Are they feeling fear, frustration? Where are they? But the most important step in selling is what I call the clarify step. And um, again, I think that's where coaches may have an edge over other practitioners because the clarify step is asking the question, if you don't take care of this problem, what other impact could it have on your life? That question allows people to think deeply about the family that may be influenced or impacted, the work, that they may not be getting done, the goal, their life dream that they may never achieve if they don't take care of whatever is going on with them. So the essence of the clarify step, which is, I know it's a big part of coaching, is the most important, power, powerful thing when it comes to selling too. So the person talks themselves into it. They go, oh my God, if I don't take care of this, Boy, in three years, in five years, I'm going to be a mess. Oh, yeah, I got to get started now. So the clarify step is really, really big when it comes to the selling method. That's, so I, I, the idea of when you said listening, I said, all right, so if you're a healthcare practitioner, I don't care if you're a nutritionist <laughs> or health coach, a naturopathic doctor, you better be, you better be listening. You better be. <laughs> but I have a, a, a really direct question, though. So the, the clarifying question, if you don't take care of this, what impact might it have on you and your future and your family? What's your sense of that question as opposed to if, I, if you do take care of this, what effect will it have? Because one of them is saying, here's, here's what's really you know, it's kind of a negative motivation. The other yes. is positive. Um, how do you feel about either of those approaches? Um, they both work depending on the person. Okay. And that's where really understanding, that's why I said try to understand what's going on energetically with someone because if somebody is coming to you filled with fear and dread, um, maybe hope is a better approach yeah. with them, right? Just to say, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. There are people in your situation who have had these experiences, you know, Imagine what life might be like if you could now, you know, be free to do these things that you love so much. Wouldn't that be great? However, what I will tell you, Reggie, is unfortunately, and some of this is biologically how we're wired, we're wired to avoid fear, pain, and danger. 
that is something that's very, very innate to our wiring. It's kind of how we evolved to avoid the fear, avoid the pain, make sure we can procreate, right? Survival instinct. And so uh, that's why so much fear is used in marketing because it is very powerful. Um, You can test both approaches with people while you're with them live and see what resonates best with them. Um, Both can work, depends on the person, but history has shown fear to be a pretty powerful motivator. No, and thanks, Amanda. I, I, I had a, I didn't know how you were going to respond, but, but my, my best guess was it would be close to as you did, because I know in my own development, um, and I, I'm much more in touch with where I am now than where I used to be. But anyone who tries to get me to do anything nowadays by trying to tell me to scare me, they're, you know, they just, they're just missing the point. <laughs> yet, I, yet, what you said is exactly in my experience as a coach that yes. sometimes um, people need to be turned a little bit so they can actually see, oh, there, there might be some dire consequences if I don't take action now. Yeah. So it, it does depend on, on who's doing the, who, it, whom I'm it, yeah. it does. I, I, I mean, I have a, per, a personal example I, I've been going through just recently with my vision. And, you know, thinking about, wow, you know, I'll be able to see all these beautiful things as I get older. And and that's great. But when somebody said I could go blind, I went, okay, everything's changing now. (laughs) My diet has changed. My everything has changed in in my life. And so that to me was a very powerful motivator, the negative. So it will depend, depend on the the person and the situation. Great. Thank you for that. So, so I'm, I'm aware of our time and we're, we're, coming in on uh, on the end of an hour, but I have one more um, question that we didn't touch on, which appears in the book in various ways. And I think it's important for anyone who's, who chooses to pursue anything entrepreneurial um, that, that involves um, going out there and trying to accomplish something based on their, their purpose. So what happens um, when it doesn't work? When I'm trying, you know, I'm following some steps. I'm working hard, and I think I'm working smart. Um, I know in your situation, uh, one of the, your clients motivated you early on when she told you, if I remember, she just said, "You're going to fail" when you told her, you know, what you were planning on doing. But what happens? Not so much when you fail, but but when things don't go as you're hoping, and there's a sustained period of this isn't working. You know what? Um, advice or what experience-based perspectives do you have um, for folks who are coming to that point where maybe I shouldn't, maybe I'm going in the wrong direction? You know, the number one cause of business failure, one of the number one causes of business failure is giving up too soon. So I, I think, you know, if you read Uh, any of the inspirational quotes about success, one of my favorite ones is that it takes 20 years to become an overnight success, right? And so um, I think some of it has to do with how long have you been at it? But the the Prosperous Practitioner Summit, we were told it took anywhere from 18 months to two years for most practitioners to get traction, to feel like, okay, I'm starting on this upward trend. And before that time, it's going to be up and down. Those were the ones, by the way, who were deeply connected to purpose, had gotten focused in their efforts and began to do many of the steps in in the conversation we had um, just in this past hour. So part of it is give yourself a break and give yourself the time and make sure you are very clear on what your vision Uh, and purposes. Because if you are deeply attached to that, nothing can stop you except yourself. And um, so I know that that isn't as maybe hardcore or tactical, but it really is about giving yourself the break, giving yourself the time. Go back and say, am I really doing what I am meant to do, what I feel in my gut I'm supposed to be doing? Because 
if you find, because many of the practitioners I know, they typically get pulled off course because this person wants them to do a talk or this person wants them to work with them because they're really sick in this way. And all those things began to pull them off course. And before you know it, they're sitting at the end of the day saying, I am drained of energy. At the end of every day, we should feel that the work we did, even if we're tired, gave us energy and didn't steal it. And if you feel at the end of the day, drained, frustrated, irritated, then you gotta go back to purpose and get, get rewired on the process that we've talked about here today and then give it time, give it the time that it needs. Yeah, and I, I, I appreciate that. that uh, I'm glad it wasn't a tactical response <laughs> because I don't think, you know. I don't think there is one. <laughs> yeah, tactics and strategies are important sometimes, but I think, um, you know, kind of insight and, and perspective is uh, or are, you know, just as important, if not more important, so we can choose the right tactics and strategies. There's, there's a lot of great thinking, if anybody wants to, to look into it, on this idea and concept around grit and perseverance, and that it's, it supersedes things like talent every day of the week. Pers I think it's perseverance plus passion equals grit. And some of the readings on that nowadays, I think, are profound and really can help this audience uh, if they start to feel their, themselves draining and waning in their work. Yeah, great. So, so thank you, Miriam. Um, I just want to, um, before we you know, bring this to a formal close, I just want to do this one more time. So <laughs> this is Miriam's book. It's The Peace Process. And what I want to make sure I do is read the subtitle, which I didn't do at the beginning. Um, if you've been paying attention today, you know what the, the five letters of peace stand for. But just to make sure you remember, you should buy the book. But it's The Peace Process, Attract a Steady Stream of Clients and Create a Thriving Holistic practice. That's, um, so we've been speaking with Miriam Zacharias. Thank you, Miriam, for being part of this and sharing your time with us today. Oh, thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, great. And um, so I'm, again, Reggie Mara. I'm the creative director at the Teleosis Institute. Um, this is the Future of Health Coaching Summit. And thank you for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your day. Mm -hmm.